a joy we have to come and serve the Lord Jesus in corporate worship. Christ, our King, has beckoned us to gather every Sunday so that we might serve him together. And because Christ is our King, we dedicate significant time to listening to what he has to say from the scriptures. So as we turn now to the word, I want to encourage you to listen closely. Now, unlike our typical diet of exposition, this will be a topical sermon where we consider the whole counsel of God on a particular subject. And this morning, we're going to think of the topic of laziness. Laziness. But before we do, let's now ask our Father for help in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we come to you with hearts full of gratitude for the work of your hands. We confess that Jesus Christ has finished the great work of redemption through his death and resurrection. Lord, we ask that your word would expose the depths of our laziness and show us the glory of our King. We ask that your word will do its work of sanctification in our hearts so that we might rightly honor you with our lives. Lord, we ask that the scriptures will open the eyes of the blind and regenerate those who remain in darkness. Lord, we ask that you bring glory to your name and that you will accomplish all of your great purposes. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Early in the morning, on March 25th, 2015, a Peruvian bus driver swerved into the opposite lane and slammed head-on with oncoming traffic. According to reports, the bus split in two, and it killed 37 people and injuring 84. Now, what was the reason this bus driver made such a fatal error? The answer? Drowsiness. Drowsiness. The driver fell asleep at the wheel. The problem was not that the driver wanted to take a nap. The problem was that he was drowsy at the wheel of a bus and not his bed. Friends, sleepiness is dangerous when it occurs outside of God's design for rest. And the same can be said about laziness. Laziness is dangerous because it is sleepiness that is outside of God's design. The Greek New Testament word idle literally means disorderly. As one author explains, this word describes someone who is out of order or out of line with the patterns and expectations of the community, in particular related to labor. When others, are wake, when others wake up and head out to work, the disorderly sleep in and hang around. They are idle from work and end up fritting away their time in unproductive, way, unproductive ways that it can even distract others from productive labor. Friends, like the drowsiness of the bus driver, laziness is a laxness or avoidance of activity that is improper, it's disorderly. So a basic definition of laziness is this. It's a refusal to work or exert effort according to God's design. Laziness is a refusal to work or exert effort according to God's design. And at the core of laziness, we'll see this morning that it's a rebellion against our creator. 
laziness or idleness is a sin that runs deep in each one of our veins. And if laziness is not put to death, it will kill us just like that drowsy bus driver. Brothers and sisters, if we love the Lord Jesus Christ, then we will listen to what he has to say about our sin of idleness so that we can honor him in our work. So this morning, I want to give you five truths, five truths to help you put away laziness and motivate you to to Christ-honoring work. Five truths. You must remember that, number one, laziness is contrary to God's nature or character. Number two, laziness is disordered worship. Number three, laziness is deadly. Number four, Laziness has been defeated by Jesus Christ. And fifthly, laziness is overcome with Christ-honoring work. Let's think about that first point. Laziness is contrary to God's character. Laziness is contrary to God's character or nature. If you want to grow in your fight against laziness, you need to understand its wickedness. And we do this by looking at God's holy character. Laziness is contrary to God's character because God himself works. The scriptures teach us that God himself works. He's not lazy. We learn this from the first page of the Bible in his work of creation. So listen to how Moses summarizes the first six days of creation in Genesis 2, verse 1 to 3. Moses says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Moses describes God's creative acts as work. But we see in the scriptures that God does not only work in creation, but that all all his acts are considered work. Scripture tells us that God is always working. So listen to how the psalmist describes God's work in Psalm 111, verse 2 to 8. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Isn't it comforting to know that God is never slack on the job? God is never lazy, but is always working to accomplish his great purposes. He's always at work with perfect power to save, sustain, sanctify, and glorify his people. So laziness is contrary to God's character because God works. We also see in scripture that laziness is contrary to God's character because God created us, his image bearers, to work. So look back at Genesis 1 verse 27 to 28. Genesis 1, verse 27 to 28. Moses writes, So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature or every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created man in his image, in his likeness, to reflect his own character. So just like God works, he calls mankind to work. He gave Adam and Eve a job to do. He said, fill the earth. He said, have and raise so many children that they take over the globe. Moms with three children, you thought you had a hard task. He says, subdue it, subdue the earth. Bring the entire world under my rule, God says. You see, God set his man in his garden to have dominion over all creatures. And that's work. In fact, one of the privileges of being made in the image of God is to work like God. But friends, when someone refuses to work and have dominion, they're acting more like those dumb beasts in the field. Is that not what happened at the fall? The most crafty of beasts, the serpent, entered into God's sacred garden. And while the serpent was busy deceiving Eve, what was God doing? Sorry, what was Adam doing? God was at work. While the serpent was busy deceiving Eve, what was Adam doing? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Instead of taking dominion of that ancient snake, Adam stood idly by. His passivity led to a role reversal where the beast was having dominion and led Adam and Eve astray. Friends, the fall of mankind began with Adam's laziness, his refusal to work as God has designed him to do. And all of us have inherited Adam's sinful nature. So if you're going to overcome your sin, you need to see what it is. You need to see laziness and idleness and sloth as rebellion against your creator. As Puritan Richard Baxter explains, the first help against sloth is to be well acquainted with the greatness of the sin. For no wonder it be committed by them that think it small. God himself reckons it with heinous sins. Idleness is a sin we can sleepily ease into. It is not a sin that we can sleepily ease out of. If we take laziness lightly, we will never repent of it with our whole heart. So when you refuse to work hard at your job, or you let the dishes pile up, you are joining that satanic rebellion against a holy God. Friends, laziness is an assault against God, your creator, and it is contrary to his holy character. So if you're going to overcome laziness, first you need to see that it is contrary to his nature. But secondly, you need to see that laziness is disordered worship. You need to remember that laziness is disordered worship. If you're going to fight the sin of laziness, you need to understand its heart. What makes it tick? What makes you do the things that you do? And we understand the heart of laziness, or that it's disordered worship, by thinking about how God designed work to be worship. So, so if you want to see how laziness is disordered worship, 
you need to think about how God designed work to be worship unto him. So back to that passage in Genesis 2, Moses recounts God's creation of Adam and Eve. Now after God formed Adam and planted a garden in Eden, Moses records this in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work it and keep it. Now you need to understand in the Torah, that word pair of work and keep are exclusively priestly terms. They're used in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, or the Pentateuch, as priestly terms. For instance, listen to Numbers 3, verse 8. The priests shall guard all the furnishing of the tent or of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister or work at the tabernacle. So after the fall, God God commissioned priests to work and keep or guard God's sacred space at the tabernacle. So just like the priests in the tabernacle were called to worship in their work, God, in that first temple, commissioned Adam's work to be worship. So when Adam tilled the ground, gathered the fruit, watched over the garden, he was worshiping in the presence of God. His work was worship. God designed Adam's work to be worship to him. And though Adam failed in his work, we now serve under the headship of that second Adam, don't we? Jesus Christ redeemed us and set us apart to be holy priests. We are a holy priesthood. And we don't come to a garden or a tabernacle, but God now dwells in us through his spirit. So now in Christ, friends, God has commissioned your work to be worship. Christ has redeemed you and set you apart to work and worship him. Now this is true when we gather as a church corporately, but this is also true when you go to work individually and whatever task he's assigned you to do. I mean, just think about what Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 23. Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You are serving the Lord Christ. You are worshiping King Jesus. But when you refuse to do your God-given work, you're succumbing to a heart of laziness. The reason you refuse to work is because something is disordered in your heart. There's something that you're loving or treasuring more than God and his design. As one author put it, idleness is any activity of the heart. It's an unwillingness to embrace what God's purpose in the work he's called you to do. So when you are idle, friends, you need to remember that something other than God has taken the throne of your heart. Every time you're idle, you're lazy, you slack off, something other than God has taken the throne of your heart. So a good question to ask when you find yourself struggling with idleness, what am I loving right now more than God? 
What am I loving or wanting or longing for more than God? Let's think about a few examples, a few heart examples. We see that the lazy heart first idolizes comfort and ease. The lazy heart idolizes comfort and ease. This is the heart who worships rest, easy, lazy days, food, days off. This is the heart that keeps hitting the snooze button in the morning every time their alarm goes off. Because they love sleep. They love their comfort. Proverbs 26, 14. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Maybe some of you struggle to wake up early to read your Bible because deep down you love comfort and ease. You have a heart that idolizes comfort. Or think about your struggle with procrastination. Why do you struggle with procrastination? Maybe it's because deep down you love what is easy. And that task at hand that is hard, well, it will be difficult. It'll take time and effort. So you keep putting it off. The lazy heart also loves pleasure. The lazy heart also loves pleasure. Proverbs 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. This is the, this is the heart that sees work as a means to pleasure. I'll say that again. This is the heart that sees work as a means, its end goal, what it wants most is pleasure. So think about this 2006 national business article titled, Off Hours, Danube, uh, Danube Group Director Works Hard, Plays Harder in Dubai. He works hard, plays harder, in Dubai. The young director Adil Sajan relies on partying and international concerts and sporting events to distress from work. I had a hard day's work. I deserve a couple of hours of me time. I think many of us unknowingly think like Sajan. We think that if I work really hard Monday through Friday, I can do whatever I want on Saturday and Sunday. It does not matter. Or you, you come on Monday to work with those Monday blues, always thinking about the off day, always thinking about your vacation. Friends, that's a heart that loves pleasure. That's a lazy heart that loves pleasure. Maybe this love of pleasure is why some of you might struggle with that besetting sin of lust or pornography. You see, work as a means to serve your desires, so it's hard to, to deny yourself any sinful pleasure. It takes effort to exert yourself. Deep down, you love your pleasure. Why would you work hard to get rid of it? The lazy heart also seeks its own ways. Proverbs 26, verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. This is the heart that prefers its own interest. You're always looking for what you want. This is the person who works hard only when he feels like it. Or he asks, 
What's in it for me? What am I to gain? As one, one author explains, idleness is any form of slackism. Measures taken by a person to do the minimum required to get through the day. Does that describe any of you? This is why the lazy man is okay with mediocre work. He doesn't care. He seeks his own ways. Finally, we see that the lazy heart works for its own glory. Unlike the one who works to please the Lord, the idle man only works for the pleasure of others. This is the heart that is only motivated to work hard when your boss is around. But when no one's looking, what do you do? You slack off. You only care what others think. You're motivated by man's glory, man's praise. Brothers and sisters, we must get to the heart of our idleness so that we can put off the root of idols, of our idolatry, and repent of our sin. Friends, if you're going to be sustained in your victory over idleness, you must deal with going on in the heart. So we see that laziness is disordered worship. But thirdly, point number three, if you're going to fight laziness, you need to remember its consequences. You need to remember that laziness is deadly. Laziness is deadly. Now we see in scripture that there are two main consequences of idleness. First, and what we normally think of, is that laziness will lead to physical harm. Laziness or idleness will lead to physical harm. What are some of the ways that idleness leads to harm? Well, first, laziness hinders your opportunities. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. The slothful won't have a say in what job he does. He won't have a say in his career because he's too lazy. I wonder how many of you have wasted good opportunities like university because of slothfulness. Maybe you were not diligent in your studies or maybe you even had to drop out because you wasted your time on video games or pleasure. And I know some of you are still suffering the consequences of laziness. You're hindered in your opportunities for work. Laziness will also lead to financial ruin. Proverbs 24, verse 30 to 34 says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with needles, and with stone stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep. A little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Friends, do you lack effort in the task that you are given in work? Do you begin a task but fail to complete it? Are you diligent? If you continue to slack off in your work, you might not be working very long. Now, these days, you can mask financial difficulties with credit cards, but the lazy man who piles up his debt will soon come to financial ruin. Laziness also harms others. Proverbs 10, verse 26. Like vinegar to the teeth 
and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Friends, it's better to have smoke burning in your eyes than to send a lazy man on an errand. Not only will you not get the thing done, but it'll end up causing more trouble. Brothers, what would your bosses say about you? Are you considered trustworthy and dependable? Or are you constantly cutting corners to make work easier? You might make work easier for yourself, but you're making work harder for others. You're harming others. And finally, laziness causes suffering and even death. Proverbs 19.15, slothfulness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. To those who refuse to work, as Paul says, let him not eat. The one who refuses to work will eventually go hungry and might even die. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hand refuses to labor. That's Proverbs 21, 25. Idleness has grave consequences and will lead to your harm. But second, and far greater, we see that laziness will lead to your eternal death. Laziness will lead not just to physical death, but eternal death. Paul says in the New Testament that the one who continues in sin will not inherit the eternal life. But the thing about laziness is that it actually leads to more sin. Laziness actually leads to more sin. As Puritan Thomas Watson warns, Christians must not be slothful. Idleness is the devil's bath. A slothful person becomes a prey to every temptation. Your sloth will lead you to all sorts of ungodliness. Beloved, when you are drunk by the love for comfort and ease, you will be blinded to your spiritual condition. The sluggard is too lazy to put away his sin. And he says, I'll deal with it tomorrow. But deep down, you don't want to kill your sin because you love your sin. Slowly but surely, you're you are hardened by your sin and don't even feel guilty. The sluggard also refuses to read God's word. The taste of this world become more and more pleasing than the words of life. The sluggard does not come to God in prayer. You're too busy thinking about what your friends posted on social media. The sluggard doesn't come or prioritize corporate gathering. You might come when it's convenient, but especially not to serve or when it's hard. The sluggard does not prioritize discipleship. But he's, always around, but he's always around for the next barbecue or game night. And slowly but surely, your idleness will, will lull you asleep from the things of God. You'll become in this spiritual stupor, and your soul will be in mortal danger. Spiritual laziness is similar to what happens to climbers when they go to the top of Mount Everest. Listen to what happens to those who try to climb Mount Everest. There at the top, the oxygen levels are only a third of what they are at sea level. On top of that, the pressure causes weight to feel 10 times heavier. The combination of the two makes climbers feel sluggish, disoriented, and fatigued. Now often, this will 
disorient climbers and they'll get stuck. They won't be able to make their way down the mountain. But if you get stuck up there, the temperatures are so cold, you might fall into what's called hypothermic coma. Now, one man who escaped this feeling described it this way. He was in hypothermic coma. I was so far gone in terms of not being connected to where I was. He was lying there up at the top of the mountain, freezing to death. But he says, there was a nice, warm, comfortable sense of being in my bed. It was really not unpleasant. It's because everything was numb. But he soon realized how wrong he was when he began to check his limbs. They were all frozen. A wave of adrenaline coursed through his body. He thought, this was not my bed. This was not a dream. This was real. And I started to think, if I don't get up, if I don't start thinking about where I am and how to get down, this will be all over soon. I'll die. That's what, that's what spiritual stupor does to you. It will lull you asleep, make you think you're comfortable, you're at ease, all the while you're one breath from eternity in hell. This is why Jesus told the church in Sardis in Revelation 3, 2-3, wake up, wake up, and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard it. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Friends, if you continue in the drowsiness of your sin, you will receive the full measure of God's wrath. You have to understand that laziness is deadly. It will kill you and send you to hell. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has defeated our laziness at the cross. Point number four, you need to remember that laziness has been defeated by Jesus Christ. Friends, the sin of laziness reveals our inability to obey God's commands. But God did not leave us without hope. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to conquer our laziness, our self-serving hearts, through Christ's perfect work of redemption. Every way that you've succumbed to laziness, Jesus Christ chose the path of self-denial. So let's think about some of the ways that Jesus defeated the sin of laziness through his perfect obedience. For instance, when you love comfort and ease, Jesus denied his needs. When you love comfort and ease, Jesus denied his needs. Jesus never yielded to idleness for one moment. He even gave up basic necessities like food to preach the gospel to the Samaritan woman. John 4, 31 to 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? But Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Jesus denied basic necessities like food or hunger to preach the gospel. Or think about how Jesus denied himself sleep so he could wake up every morning and pray. Jesus was regularly denying himself of basic necessities. 
Or remember Jesus when he said, the son of man does not have a place to lay his head. He did not even have a home. He denied himself of basic necessities. Or when you pursue pleasure, Jesus denied his rights. So Jesus denied his needs, but he also denied his rights. Though Jesus is the son of God, he did not take advantage of his rights on earth. Rather, he denied himself so that he might fulfill God's plan of redemption. As Galatians 4, 4 4-5 explains, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus denied himself of every worldly pleasure, every sinful pleasure, and even good things, so that he might obey where you failed. He came to obey the law perfectly, to keep it where you've disobeyed. And he did this, why? So that he might serve himself or be comfortable? No. He obeyed the law perfectly, so he might offer himself as a spotless sacrifice for your sin. Think about Hebrews 5, verse 8. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. When you seek your own way, Jesus denied his interests. From his birth in Bethlehem to his dying breath at Calvary, Jesus did not prefer his own interests, but he came to serve. I mean, just think about the night of his betrayal. What was Jesus doing? He's about to face the wrath of God. And even while he's troubled, he's spending his hours comforting others. He's ministering to his disciples at the the last hours before the cross. Think about John 16, verse 32. Jesus says, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. You'll abandon me. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. Be comforted, my disciples. I have overcome the world. Or think about the cross. What was Jesus doing even at the cross? When he was beaten and mocked and stripped bare and left to die like a common criminal, Jesus was there caring for his mother. John, behold your mother. Mother, behold John. He was caring for his mother in his dying hours. Or... Think about how Jesus prayed. Forgive them. They do not know what they do. In his dying breaths, Jesus was not seeking his own interests, but the interest of others. And when you work for your own honor, Jesus denied his own glory. Before the foundations of the world, Jesus enjoyed perfect communion and glory with the Father and the Spirit. And though Jesus is worthy of all praise, what did Jesus do? He humbled himself so that he might accomplish redemption. Think about Philippians 2, verse 6 to 8. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ laid aside his glory so that he might bring many sons and daughters to glory. Every step on the road to Calvary, Jesus refused to be lazy. He never caved into idleness. He never preferred his interests. He never sought the easy way out. Friends, when Adam stood idly by and watched his bride be deceived by the serpent, Jesus stepped in our place. He crushed the head of that ancient snake and he redeemed us by becoming a curse on that tree. And on that cross, he cried out, it is finished. On that cross, Jesus bore the full weight of God's wrath reserved for your sin of laziness, for your idleness, for every time you've considered yourself more than others, every time you've taken God's good creation and served me, myself and I. Jesus Christ died on that cross, but he not remained dead. He rose again. He conquered. He reigns. He is king. He's accomplished redemption. And now as the reigning Lord, he now calls you, friend, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow him. The path to fighting laziness and conquering laziness is the path of self-denial. Friends, your laziness is not an escape from a difficult boss or hard circumstances. Rather, your idleness is an offense against your creator who made you to worship him. If you continue in your sin, God will pour out his wrath upon you forever in hell. There is no work you can do. There's no gift you can pay to cleanse your conscience, to cleanse your hands. Friends, you cannot cause your soul to live. But Jesus died and rose again. The power of death is overthrown. Friends, God offers you mercy, pardon, forgiveness in Christ alone. So why will you not turn from your sins and trust in him? Turn from your laziness and trust in the finished work of Christ. Trust in his redemption and his forgiveness. And he will save you. He will save you. Beloved, we now can overcome our laziness, not through our own efforts, our own strength or ability, but rather through faith alone in Christ alone. We can overcome laziness through faith in what Christ has done. We can put off idleness and now by faith put on Christ honoring work. So number five, if you want to conquer laziness, you conquer it by overcoming it with Christ-honoring work. Laziness is overcome by Christ-honoring work. Brothers and sisters, God did not leave you alone in your fight. You've been given the gift of his spirit so that you can slay every idle desire and walk in self-denying, Christ-honoring work. So in conclusion, I want to give five ways Five ways that you can put off slack 
and honor Christ with your labor. First, work hard to meditate on the gospel. Work hard to meditate on the gospel. Beloved, if you try to put off idleness in your own strength, you will always fall. You'll always fail. At the heart of the matter, you do not need more discipline. You need Christ. You need Christ. And you need to meditate on Christ's word. Think about passages like Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It is only through faith in what Christ has done that you can be daily zealous in saying no to sloth and yes to self-denial. It's only by faith in Christ. That's why you need to regularly meditate on the gospel. Remember what Christ has done and trust in what he has done and walk in his righteousness. This is why we sing, to this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. You must work hard to meditate on God's word, to let the scriptures expose the sin of idleness and come to Christ who will forgive you. There is no condemnation in Christ. Rather, he loves to strengthen you through the Spirit. To honor him. Second, we work hard to honor Christ with excellence. So we work hard to we work hard to meditate on the gospel, but we also work hard to honor Christ with excellence. When you trusted in Christ, He now becomes your master. He redeemed you so that you might worship Him. Think about that passage in Colossians three that we had looked about looked at earlier. Colossians 3, verse 22 to 24. Bond servants or employees work, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When you seek to honor Christ in your work, it will free you from fear of man, and it will also motivate you to work with excellence. You can work hard to do your best and leave the results up to God. So if you receive critical feedback, you can rest assured that if your work was done by faith, it is pleasing to your king. So think about that the next time you're working on a project or washing dishes. This is, a, I think, especially helpful for those who work behind the scenes. I mean, just think about it. What would be your, what would be your, what would change in your attitude? What would change in your attitude and the quality of your work if you realize that you're preparing this meal for Jesus Christ? 
you're washing the dishes that will be served to him. How would your attitude change? And how would your excellence, your quality of work change? Or maybe some of you are eager to share the gospel. Maybe you're regularly sharing the gospel, maybe in the workplace or at university. But you need to ask yourself, does my work adorn the gospel? Or is my work a stumbling block to those who hear it? If your classmates found out that you are a Christian, would they be shocked? Oh, Christians, oh, they don't have to do hard work. They turn their assignments in late. They come to class late. They don't turn projects out on time. Huh, I didn't know Christians were like that. Do you adorn the gospel in your work, both with your words and your work? Work hard to honor Christ with excellence, knowing that it is him you serve. Thirdly, work hard to be faithful in your God-given roles. In their book titled, The Gospel at Work, Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert explained how the gospel reorients our priorities. So if you've never thought about how the gospel informs your work, I encourage you to pick up this book. We have a few copies in the back that you can purchase. And they write this. If you are a follower of Christ, you will look to Jesus to reorder your assignment and obligations. And he is very clear about what matters most. When you become a Christian, your overarching, overriding, life-driving assignment becomes as clear as crystal. You are to love God and love others. That assignment trumps everything. That assignment trumps everything. So, brothers, when you go to work, your main aim is not to make more money. Your main aim is to please God. And your main aim is to love others. More than that, did you know, brothers, that your work does not stop when you clock out at the job? You have lots of other roles as a husband, as a father, as a member. You have hard work to do to shepherd your wife, to instruct your children, to help around the house, to disciple others. This means that you sometimes will need to stay late at the office, and other times you'll need to say no to your boss because your aim is faithfulness in all the areas God has given you. And this takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of hard work. So if you've never thought about what faithfulness looks like, I, I want to encourage you, sit down with an older, more mature brother or sister and let them ask you and help you think about God-honoring priorities. What does it look like to be faithful in every area of your life, every role God has given you? Fourthly, work hard to serve others. Work hard to serve others. When we seek to honor Christ in our work, we now can deny ourselves for the good of others. So think about that example of Paul from 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 to 8. As he's trying to admonish the idol, he sets himself as an example. He says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day. What's the reason, Paul? So that we might not be a burden to any of you. 
when you walk in idleness, you are a burden to others. When you, are at, when you walk in idleness, you are a burden to others. But Christ now calls you to deny yourself and bear the burdens of others. So what would this look like in your work? What would this look like when you come on Sunday to serve? What would this look like at home when you know your spouse is having a hard day? What would this look like to care for a brother or sister who is enduring a hardship or not doing well spiritually? Work hard to serve others. Remember that Christ served you at the cross so that you, so that you can now deny yourself and prefer others' interests. Lastly, work hard, work hard to hope in Christ's return. Work hard to hope in Christ's return. Beloved, we are called to work hard, but we must never forget that our work is cursed. Our work will be hard and full of thorns and frustrations. We will not see all the fruit of our labor. We might struggle to provide for our needs because of difficult circumstances. We are limited, finite, and our aching bodies are failing. We will be sinned against in our work and we'll sin against others. We will fall and fail in our sin against idleness all the way till we die. There will be many days of turmoil, tears, trials and suffering, but do not lose heart. But remember that Jesus Christ has conquered your sin. He rose again and he is coming day. He's coming back very soon. One day Christ will return and he'll finish the good work that he has started in you. Everything that you do by faith will be rewarded on that last day. He will reward all of your faithfulness, whether it's seen by, by others or not, whether you see the fruit of your labors, your king sees. He sees all, and he will reward everything you do by faith. Therefore, Paul says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And when your race is finished and you ascend to glory on that day, you'll hear those precious words, well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's work hard in hope of that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have overcome the grave. We thank you for the hope of our Savior who now has redeemed us and redeemed our work. We ask that we would not lose heart, but would day by day put on the mind of Christ that you might enable us to kill our laziness and strengthen us to honor you in all we say and do. We ask that you would be pleased with our worship that you would keep us to the end. In Christ's name.